Hi there, everyone. I'm Gwen Jones, and welcome once again to the I'm Rotarian podcast, the weekly podcast where I introduce you to amazing people that proudly call themselves Rotarians. Well, this week, we are talking trash. I mean, not trash, like, you know, talking about other people. No, 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 we don't do that. We're really talking trash. You know, the stuff you throw away in the trash can. The stuff, the trash can that goes to perhaps the end of your driveway and then some machine comes and picks it up and then you don't have to worry about it anymore. Guess what? Ladies and gentlemen, theys and thems, we should be thinking about it. And we're going to today. We are joined by the Talking Trash, Trash Task Force Representative, Lori Clotier. That's right. There's a task force, a talking trash task force from right here in Washington State. Polsbo, no less. I didn't even have to go very far to talk trash. So join me, won't you? We're going to expand our thought process beyond the can and the truck picking it up once a week. Join me, won't you? The conversation with talking trash starts right now. Welcome back to the podcast. Well, I have to say, I have to throw myself under the bus because I have not done an environmental podcast yet. And that's really bad because it's part of our areas of focus is the environment. So I decided to invite uh, Lori Cloutier here to see me because we're going to talk trash. We're going to talk trashy. We're going to talk all about the Trashy Task Force. We're going to be trashy. We are trashy. Uh, and it is all about trash. And uh, I am so trashily, wonderfully happy that you're here. Hi, Lori. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you, Gwen. <laughs> I mean, that's as punny as I can get. But for the record, you're the one who in the email and everything, you started the whole idea of talking trash about, about trash. So um, why don't you introduce yourself to me again? And because I want to know, and I want my listeners to know what exactly the trashy, the trash talk task force is. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Gwen. Well, it started off after a rotary talk and we listened to a talk by a local representative from our division on solid waste and he was talking about where our trash went and we all know it just goes away right right it goes in the can the nice (laughs) men and women pick it up in the truck and it goes away it goes away away. there's there's this other can called recycling and it goes away too goes away we at least we thought it went away we've learned a little bit more about where some of that recycling actually goes but We got really interested in trash and we got interested in landfill diversion because like a lot of cities, our away is the landfill. Right. But landfills in a lot of parts of the world on the U.S. East Coast, they're starting to fill up. In Seattle, they're filling up. So we were kind of shocked to find out that all of our trash in Kitsap County, where I live, gets on a train and goes out of state to Oregon. And it goes into a gigantic landfill in Arlington that is supposed to live for another 90 years before it fills up. Okay, so now I we are both 
here in Washington State. This is one of my most local podcasts I've ever recorded. <laughs> Good to see you right down the street here. Um, but so you're saying the city of Seattle really is their their landfill is filling up. There is no room at the end for their trash. They're on. I, I'm not an expert in Seattle at all, but from what I understand, they are on the last cell in their big landfill. Um, and where Whidbey Island's trash goes, I don't know. It we actually have far. a landfill here on Whidbey Island. We have our own landfill. But I do have to say that it we are on our second one. And so there's these beautiful grassy hills that you see these white pipes coming up from. And I assume that's due to the methane gas. It's, it's letting something out of there. Let you something. usually don't see things built on top of landfills because the stuff coming out of them, nobody wants that in their in their home and breathing it. Wow. So you were saying. Well, I'm going to give you extra points. Okay. When, because a lot of people just don't even know where their trash goes. And, and I hope as we go through this, that one thing that people who are interested in trash and want to be really trashy understand their local trash resources because they're different. They're different here in Paulsville than they are in Whitby and they're different there than they are in Seattle and they're different here than they are on the East Coast. So there are different resources both for where our trash goes and what kinds of things can be recycled that differ (sighs) from city to county to state to continent. And if that doesn't make things confusing enough, uh, the whole thing thing about recycling gets very confusing. So trashy, our whole trashy task force realized that we're all really a bit confused. We're not just trashy. And we wanted to be able to help. Um, And we wanted to be able to divert things away from the landfill and into recycling when possible. And we'd all heard that styrofoam just can't be recycled. Right. That's what I heard. Right. You can't. I cringe when anybody sends me something and it has styrofoam peanuts. It's like, how dare you? (laughs) Have you have you purchased a flat screen TV lately? Oh, no. But I purchased a coffee table and it was a solid sheet. Yeah. 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 We, We get a lot of styrofoam and it's very difficult to recycle because of transportation and weight. But technically, it's super easy to recycle. If you really? take, yeah. So, so here's the deal about styrofoam. It's actually called styrofoam is a brand name. We're right. talking about expanded polystyrene and it's expanded by air. And so styrofoam doesn't compress very well. And just a few pounds of it take up an enormous amount of space. It okay. also breaks up into those little annoying beads. Yes. And when you try to put it in your trash can, you may break some off and gets on the ground and, and the static electricity <laughs> and it sticks on you oh yeah yeah yeah. it yeah. does but even worse than that it can be uh it can be eaten by birds or little animals because it looks like uh, a little round white yummy thing and mm. they're birds they they don't know so right. styrofoam creates a big mess it can't be recycled it breaks up um it contaminates other materials and we heard that our county did a uh, styrofoam recycling event twice a year. And we thought, wow, who knew? Who knows mm-hmm. about this? So can our Rotary Club 
use all of our networking superstar superpowers to help spread the word about this event. And that's what we did. We put up giant posters around our Rotary uh, Club. We found out who is a member of every single professional association, homeowners association, church, PTA, any group that had social media or a pulpit or a bulletin board where we could get the word out of when the styrofoam event was going to be and see if we could move that dial. And we did. We collected a record-setting amount of styrofoam and felt really good about that because by some estimates, landfills may have 25% filled up with, with this styrofoam stuff. And we can't put it in our curbside because of all the transportation and other problems that we talked about. So that's how we got started. And it was it was awesome. It was a great trashy event. We we drank <laughs> a lot of wine, we collected our styrofoam, and we spread the word using Rotary's ability to network to get our community informed of something that was already there. Very efficient let, our resources. Let, let me back up a bit because you because you did all when you talked about trash and we're talking North America here, because I know there is an international, we'll talk about the action group, the, the, the trashy action worldwide, trashy action group. Um, but what I found very interesting is that you said that trash is a state or local or even County thing. And that it, it is it all privately owned? Is there a governmental owned trash pickup service? I mean, I, I find it very fascinating that we have fire departments, we have police departments. And I we have think- sol- solid waste departments. Right. So, so it depends on where you are. Your city might own the job of picking up trash, recycling, and compost. Okay. Your county might do it. And then in addition to that, you may have private groups that do their own special recycling, or they might be a composter who accept yard waste for pay. Right. And we then have one of those. Yeah. Okay. We'll often seek to get contracts from um, the company or they will seek to get the co- contracts for the cities or the counties or the entities that are looking for somebody to receive recycling or receive trash. So the the county groups in in my neck of the woods, our county does uh, contract every couple of years. And uh, so there's big business in trash, in other words. It, it <laughs> is huge. Trash is a huge, big business. And recycling is a is a business too, uh, a, a business that has been very much struggling, but is an important piece of the whole picture of dealing with plastic. It's been credited with being a bigger part of the answer to plastic pollution than it actually is. So but, that that's a good tease because I want to talk to you about that. Definitely. Uh, you were saying, I didn't want to interrupt. Please, please end your point there. Well, okay. Well, I just, um, that was our start was with styrofoam. And as we were researching, where does our trash go? Where does our recycling go? How can we be more efficient? Why don't people know more about how to deal with things? Uh, what resources are already out there? Because Sometimes nonprofits tend to reinvent the wheel, even the rotary wheel. So the first step I did, (laughs) and I encourage people to do this, go have a cup of coffee 
with somebody who's involved with trash, sit down and tell them, I'm here to learn. I want a data dump. I'm new at this and I just want to be a sponge and learn everything I can about how trash is handled in our community. And you will get start getting information and contacts. Uh, who's doing composting? Who is taking used political signs? This is a very timely question. Certainly your curbside recycler is not taking it. Uh, maybe your transfer stations are not taking it. But we just found a little group, um, Green Rhino, over across on the, the other side of the Puget Sound, that will take them as long as they're clean and don't have staples. So now we're thinking maybe the trashy task force should try to clean up politics or at least political signage and mm -hmm. see that that doesn't go to landfill and that it gets melted down and recycled. But as we were learning, we found out that a local middle school was collecting polyethylene film. They were trying yeah. to win a contest. And polyethylene film, that's your dry cleaning bags, bubble wrap, yeah. electric mailers, and of course, the grocery bags. And so we got into that. We started collecting it. They won. And when their contest ended, we just kept on collecting it. And we have now collected over 40,000 pounds of polyethylene wow. waste that is going to be turned into treks, benches, and decking instead of going into the landfill. And that makes us excited. It's a domestic company. I now own a Trex deck. Yeah. Um, it locks that plastic up for at least a decade. Mm -hmm. And that led us to saying, hey, why don't we try making our big biking tour, bike riding fundraiser? What if we make that zero waste? Mm -hmm. Could we do it? Actually, I went to our president, uh, a person you've interviewed named Nick Johnson. Yeah. And from 1905 I, where? Yeah. yeah. I yeah. said, hey, let's let's try to really reduce the plastic that we use. Um, let's make it zero waste. And he said, no, let's go zero waste. There you and go. we did. And we got our local college involved with us and their environmental science students. And we followed a little formula that we found on uh, a website uh, for Bainbridge Island uh, zero waste. And it said, look around and say, hey, is there anything that we don't absolutely need? And the first place we looked around in our minds was our registration table and those big bags full of tchotchkes that nobody wants. So Gwen, do you ever go to conferences? Yes. In fact, if you look behind me, of course, our, our viewers can't see this, but I have a whole bunch of lanyards from concerts and different things that I've, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a live concert promoter and, and producer. So there's a lot of plastic lanyards over there with all kinds of stuff on them. So yes. Yeah. It, um, we found that an awful lot of people go to trade shows and conferences and they get a bag that's full mm -hmm. of all kinds of gimmies and they get them home. And what are you going to do with all that stuff? Right. Except for so, the pen. I have a pen it, here. That's about yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the, the pens, I love the pens because I am a notorious pen stealer. There and you go. at least then I'm being legal. But the point is, we looked at all those tchotchkes and all those extra things and realized we don't need all this. So instead of having a big bag with all kinds of stuff, let's just use a small, very uh, thin paper bag that holds the bike rider's numbers. And we don't really need to give a map because bike riders don't want paper maps. Mm -hmm. We just found thing after thing that we really didn't need 
to use. For the maps, we made a big map. Everybody took pictures of it or put the waypoints into their GPS systems. But bicycle riders are not reaching back behind them and pulling out soggy, sweaty paper maps. They're simply not needed. And we went on to look at our food service. Do we need to have all kinds of plastic water bottles? No, we can have big water dispensers, encourage people to bring their own bottles, refill those bottles. And we went without uh, all those plastic bottles. And then we researched how to recycle seven or deal with seven different waste streams. And we knew uh, that everybody would be so confused. We needed to have those staffed. So we had our recycle educators from our college and from our membership often working together. Uh, we found out that the kids were hearing their parents get trained on how to recycle seven different waste streams, and they got all excited. They wanted to be asked the test questions. You know, it wasn't a test. It was like, you know, somebody walks in with a pizza box. Right. What do you do with it? Well, these kids wanted to answer those questions. So there was tremendous interest in it. And as a result of all these little changes, we went from having four cubic yards of dumpster trash to having a little bag because wow. we had thought it through and just got rid of everything. And we had substituted um, a compostable plastic cup for the plastic bottles. Well, COVID hit. And also in those years, we learned that that compostable plastic is maybe not very good for compost after all, right. because there are undisclosed additives in the plastic. Maybe compostable, it may break up, but what exactly is in it? That's proprietary information, and we don't really know. So this year, we didn't go to the bleeding edge on recycling. We said, we need to switch from disposable to reusable items. And that is, that's a big deal. Because mm -hmm. if you're using reusable, somewhere along the line, some cleaning needs to be involved. Right. And I, we thought, that's a whole lot of work. And we're way too busy for that. But what's work? In the world of Rotary, what's the difference between I'm... something really fun and work? Mm-hmm. So we decided that good people, good music, good wine, and bad jokes make anything fun. So we planned a silverware rolling party, complete with drinks and storytelling and rolling up silverware that we borrowed from a tableware lending library. Yeah. I'd never known that such things existed. 1,200 wow. pieces of cutlery, instead of being plastic or the so-called compostable plastic, it was reusable. And we also switched to a reusable aluminum cup. And the spokesperson is Jason Momoa. And I'm really sorry that we don't have a picture of Jason mm -hmm. Momoa here. He's, he was Aquaman. Right. And, and uh, Gwen, is it getting really warm? Because it seems like whenever I talk about Jason Momoa and his <laughs> aluminum <laughs> he is He is pretty. Absolutely. He is he, definitely pretty. He really is. But the product is pretty cool because you reuse it until it starts getting worn out, which hasn't happened for us yet. Mm -hmm. And then it's 100% recyclable, unlike plastic, which can only be recycled maybe two times. Aluminum is infinitely recyclable. 
and it is high value. So it gets recycled well. So that's been our, our real change is moving from first landfill diversion and becoming experts in recycling and then taking another step to, to um, follow what the United Nations Environment Program has been telling us, which is the real problem with single-use plastics is not the plastics. It's the single use. Mm-hmm. There are no good substitutes. And when you do a life cycle analysis, you find out that you will always spend less when you reuse things several times than if you use disposables. And by so, spend less, I mean carbon, right. uh, water use, all the all the measurements of a life cycle analysis. So that all sounds great. I love it. It's fantastic. However, we are, I'll, I'll use the, the royal we, we are a very convenient, conscious people. I will not speak for myself because I, I've been called a, a, a radical recycler. It's, a, <laughs> it's something I, it's, a, it's a, a ribbon I take very highly, but um, we are a convenience uh, at, to a point that I think sometimes we forget how much plastic is in the world. And I actually challenge my listeners next time you step into a grocery store to actually try and fill your cart with things that don't have plastic. <sighs> now, it's it's technically impossible. I mean, maybe you could buy some fruit, but unless you put that fruit or vegetable in a plastic bag, I myself have reusable vegetable bags that I take with me to the grocery store. Um, but is part of this plastic problem because we've just gotten lazy? I mean, all of our cheese is individually wrapped in plastic and all of our yogurts can be in little tubes that are plastic. Pardon me, can be little tubes that are plastic. And we have this that's all wrapped in plastic. Everything is wrapped in plastic. Are we just not connected anymore to our food or connected anymore to how much plastic is out there? I mean, as I'm looking around my desk right now, I'm looking at all kinds of plastic things. It's, I don't, I think there could be a little bit of quote laziness. In fact, there could be a lot, but if you're not lazy and you really try to not use plastic in your life, it's very hard. It has become a wallpaper we no longer see because our clothes are mostly plastic nowadays. Our carpets are plastic. Our uh, upholstery is plastic. Uh, We think a lot of the plastic in food, which is actually one of the areas where plastic sometimes plays a role that's almost justifiable because it extends the life of fresh produce, especially in areas um, that are far away from where the food is grown. So really, what are our choices? Mm. I don't want to buy my tuna fish in a plastic sachet. Sachets are truly evil. Sachets are little pouches. They're often lined with metal fused to a couple kinds of plastic. Oh, I've seen those. Pita chips, you've seen them. You haven't seen them here, though, like you see them in India. Because people realized, hey, for one rupee, we can... We can send people a little packet 
of specially branded shampoo or um, luxury laundry soap. And for one rupee, a very poor person can buy this product. They couldn't afford a whole box of it. Right. And the traditional methods of buying things, um, bringing in a container, getting it filled with something and going home are being replaced by this sachet packaging. It's not recyclable. And in countries with no waste management infrastructure, those things are littering the ground. And worse, they're often flooding flooding areas. They stack up all over the place because they have no value. They can't be recycled. And I had no idea that this was such a problem until I was in Houston at the RI convention and talking with Rotarians from Kenya who said, those things plug, plug up the drains. And guess what happens when you start having a lot of standing water and flooding? Right. Guess what happens to polio virus reproduction? Sure. To mosquito breeding, other, yeah. other uh, vectors that bring disease. So I've kind of wandered off my point, but it's very hard to live your life without uh, using plastic. And we, the consumers, have no control. I mean, we can go out of our way to try to find those rare things that you can buy without it. But really, what about these manufacturers that are putting things and wrapping them in plastic because it's very inexpensive and they don't have to pay for it? Who pays for it? Well, we do when we are funding our municipal trash collection. So there are... There are solutions in the world that um, in the political world and in the world of incentive incentives and uh, tax incentives and extended producer responsibility laws that are being enacted all over the world. Um, I'm not a political person and Rotary is not political, but it's important to understand how these things work, how they might be financed. And who can actually make the decisions on how we get our food and our flat screen TVs? Well, and I so, think that's that's very I, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I think that's very interesting when you I know Rotary is not political and I do agree with you, but plastic is a petroleum product. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very fascinating. I think people need to realize that uh, if you're very anti fossil fuels, Um, do realize that the more plastic you use, the more you're supporting fossil fuel type of things. It is a petroleum product. That somebody told me a few years back and I was like, well, isn't that does have global geo geo type of feel to it. Absolutely. Um, And so when I hear that, I also, I also uh, throw myself on the, on the, uh, on the, uh, uh, fire of dear friends that eat organically and they get their beautiful organic eggs wrapped up in a styrofoam and or double layered plastic container. And I think to myself, well, whoopee do (laughs) if that there is an organic egg because it's just wiped out a whole bunch of stuff being this plastic container that it's been put in is and and there is good there is a good place for plastic let's make it perfectly clear our our cars our crumple zones in our cars are the use of a breakaway plastic and any hospital is going to tell you that they need to 
individually wrap things in plastic at a hospital and we have to support, I mean, my God, we have to support it's the way it keeps it sanitary. It's the way it keeps it. So there is a place for plastic in the world. Uh, but there's my big, but um, I think what we're not realizing is that not only are we wearing plastic and eating plastic, but do you, can you tell us anything about this new fun thing called microplastics? Oh, that's my what are favorite those? thing. My favorite thing. So microplastics come about uh, a couple of ways. We make microplastics. You ever? We as people? We, we as, make well, well, we as a, as a commodity, we make microplastics. We, okay. we, for a long time, we put little plastic, scratchy things in our cosmetics, little wow. tiny plastic beads. To get that um, fresh look. Yes. What is glitter? Probably a microplastic, um, plastic abrasives. Um, you know, I've got this this little sponge. It's a sponge with a smiley face cut into it. You know, I've people, seen those. Yeah, yeah, you've seen those. Well, a whole lot of parts of that sponge are missing, and that sponge was made out of plastic. And those missing parts are tiny little plastic. But most of the plastic is coming when our plastic waste especially our single-use plastic waste, gets out into the environment and starts degrading by the sun. And it doesn't break down. That's the problem with plastic. Those little molecular bonds are so strong, but they, they um, degrade in sunlight. And when they degrade, more surface area is exposed and more of those really bad additives are been able to go into the ocean water. Um, microplastics in our bodies, and we've now found them in human blood um, back in March or April, we started finding them in human blood. We've been seeing them in uh, various tissues on both sides of the fetal placenta uh, in stools, but now we're seeing them deep in lung tissue and in blood. And with the plastic, and the microplastics also come the additives, some of which are PFAS chemicals. And the PFAS chemicals are even worse than the chemicals that make up the plastic, which also have um, other additives like bisphenol and phthalates and things that are sending little endocrine signals. They are hormone disruptors. And we learned this from the endocrinologists of the world who are saying, why are we seeing some of these things that we're seeing? And they're tracking it down to some of the chemicals that we have in our plastics. And when the amount of plastic, it, it's the amount of plastic going into the ocean. Um, imagine a big 55, pound, 55 gallon sack of plastic um, sitting on one foot of your favorite beach. And imagine that five of those are lining every foot of coastline and the entire planet, that is how much is going into the ocean. All of it turning into microplastics, eventually it all gets up, much of it gets into the deep ocean and a lot of plastic also gets into the air. Another source of micro and nanoplastics are our tires. So mm. as our tires abrade, uh, air currents can entrain them up into the atmosphere and they go and 
they get redeposited all over the world. Um, these deposit studies, uh, deposition studies that are done in U.S. national parks, far from the source of any plastic, they find tons of plastic in nano and micro sizes, some of which can travel across continents. So we breathe this and we think it's enough to send you packing and go indoors. Right. But because of all that clothing and upholstery, our air quality and our micro and nanoplastic indoors is actually higher than it is outdoors. So we are breathing plastic and we're eating plastic and it's in our blood. And when you get down to the micro and nano levels, it becomes small enough to cross the blood brain barrier. And we just don't know what it's doing up there. But based on what I'm reading in social media, it's not making us any smarter. So, so it sounds to me like, like, like we have plastic on the brain a little bit and a dog in the background. We do love dogs here. Don't worry. Sorry about that. I, that's okay. I've got a couple, I've got a couple of dogs that are asleep. I can uh, put this dog. <laughs> That'll last about three seconds. There you go. Um, so I, I so it sounds like we're addicted to plastic and I, and, and I say that not necessarily tongue in cheek, but actually really, mm -hmm. um, but who benefits? I mean, why are we so addicted to plastics? I mean, well, you is, touched I, on it. You, you came up with the answer. It's, it's big business and it's the fossil fuel industry and the chemical industry, which are tied. But we don't, tip. I was going to say, we don't really hear about that. I mean, we hear, I, mm. we, we officially have a, a president this time and I'm not being political. This is legislative that has signed a bill that's going to talk about greenhouse gases and is going to work on solar panels and is going to make jobs and all that's well and good. And I want that. It makes me very excited, but nowhere in it, in there does it say, and we're not going to use so many plastic things. <laughs> well, plastics has been called the plan B for the petroleum industry. So as states are busy putting in electrical charging stations and working to shift our transportation systems to electrical, what are they gonna do? If you're a corporation and your job is to find markets, you're gonna turn to plastics. And the United States has just built some of the biggest plastic manufacturing plants that have ever been constructed in the world. And wow. that's because of natural gas. So you can make um, poly, Ethyl, or you can make ethylene, which can then be turned into various different kinds of plastics, polyethylene, and many more things. And if you do it where you're doing uh, fracking, where you're getting natural gas out of the ground by super cheap, like not by cheap, trying. Yeah. And you've got this byproduct that you can turn into something that's very profitable and 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 all the things that make us love plastic. It's so lightweight. It doesn't break. There are tons of reasons to like it, but when you have so much of this stuff, smart people start coming up with ways to use it. And we see packaging and it's appealing because it lowers shipping costs, makes sure. things cheaper for us to buy. Um, we have completely divorced the cost of dealing with plastic waste from the item itself. So 
of course it's cheaper and outcompetes other forms of packaging. So dealing with that waste is not dealt with in the purchase price anywhere along the lines. And that divorce makes it really hard to see what are the true costs of plastic when you start looking at the billions of dollars that we can spend on trying to clean it up. Yeah. Um, so, so now that you've depressed me totally, I need you to depress me even I, more. I'm a trashy, trashy person. You are a trashy, trashy person. And you did mention that you were talking about recycling. Now, I have to say I am a huge recycler. I get, like I said, I get teased. If you go underneath my sink, there's one for glass and one for paper and um, all that kind of stuff. But then I had somebody tell me, well, who cares about your plastic bottles in fact, I think actress Drew Barrymore has a thing for a, a, a cleaning product that she's in. And she said, well, you know, only 7% of plastic bottles are even recycled anyway. And it just made me cringe because I only have to go to the garbage like once a month because I recycle some. Now, recycling, I've been known to go to recycling three or four times a month. It's the summertime. I like wine. I like friends. I have a lot of recycling to do in, in wine bottles and, and water bottles and all that kind of stuff. So go ahead. Depress me. Do people oh, no, not- no, I'm going to give you absolute um, honors and applause for what you're doing because well, for me, great. But I, but I'm like, oh crap, is this like, well, am I a rarity? Am I a freak in the system? Of system oh, plastic and our recycling? problem with recycling is that w- there are a lot of myths. There are a lot of very important things about recycling, and there are some myths, and we need to know what's what and. It's been so misleading about plastic recycling. It's so misleading that recently the Attorney General of California has subpoenaed the records from Exxon to find out exactly when and how they knew how dangerous plastic was and how difficult it is to actually recycle. Like the cigarettes of the 70s. When did you know? Yeah. yeah. Okay. When did you know this? And um, it It was um, part of the misrepresentation happened when the American Chemistry Council, which really supports the chemical companies, because plastic is a chemical, it's a kind of a slow release chemical. um, They started getting complaints from customers in the 70s that, hey, this plastic that we're using is great, but it's stacking up. It's not going away. It doesn't it doesn't deteriorate. Right. And it became really important for them to assure customers that it was okay to use plastic. And so they adopted something that looked a lot like the recycle sign, a little triangle, and they put a number in it that identifies the resin. And a lot of people look at that and they think if they see it, that it's recyclable. Yeah. Cause like here in here on Woodby Island, uh, I have to, I look at that little triangle and it's a one and a two, I think here on would be. Yeah. Um, ones and twos, those plastic bottles, you're part of the 7%. That is probably getting re- truly recycled. Woo-hoo! And I say, I say probably <laughs> because here's another, here's, here's the thing that we need to, we need to know, we need to understand for many, many, many years, we did all this recycling and we had these mixed bales of plastic. Now the glass can be recycled infinitely. 
Right. Paper and cardboard have places where they can go and the markets are really pretty good for them right now. We can reuse those things. Aluminum can be recycled infinitely and it reduces our need for bauxite, which is a thing that we have to mine. And that's can be very uh, difficult for political reasons. Uh, it, It makes us less independent if we need to buy bauxite. So so it makes great sense to recycle all of these things. Mm-hmm. But plastic is maybe a little more wishful thinking. Uh, your bottles here are probably getting recycled because that PET plastic can be reused, usually turned into textiles. And the number two, um, I, I can't even speak to number two. It's That's a polyethylene, um, probably some of the same thing there. But here's the deal. It isn't just about the resin. It's about whether or not it's contaminated and it's about whether it can be sorted. So you imagine the incredible mix of paper and aluminum and plastic and plastic that can be recycled and plastic that that can't be recycled, recycled, all going into these massive trucks, which tip onto a giant cement floor uh, to be sorted. And that sorting job is tremendous. It takes a lot of labor and it takes a lot of machinery. There are optical scanners and bursts of air that separate flat things that can go flying like uh, cardboard and paper to one part and um, and aluminum to another part and metals to another part, leaving the residual that ends up going to landfill. Well, we used to have huge amounts of plastic go into giant bales and we sold them to China. And then China said, you know, you guys are sending us cardboard that's been wet and it's a pile of mold. You're sending Uh, us plastic that is full of low value plastic and we're not going to take it anymore. And they quit taking it. And we started trying to find desperately trying to find places to sell the big bales of plastic that uh, were coming out of our different recyclers and started sending it to places like Malaysia and Indonesia and other places. Well, they can't deal with the low value plastic any more than we can. But what were they doing with the plastic that couldn't actually give them some value, be worth recycling? Well, they don't have big landfills or they might have incineration, but it might not have any scrubbers and filters and heavy metal removers that uh, we see in more industrialized countries. A lot of it finds its way into the oceans, that gets into the oceans or it gets burned. So this is a big problem and many nations of the world got together um, in Basel and they came up with a way to stop the international waste trade, this flow of the huge plastic byproducts of a very highly consumer countries uh, to small nations that desperately needed some of those resources and had no ability to take care of the things that were not recyclable. And almost every country in the world signed for this because it was so important. But there were a couple small countries that didn't and a big country that didn't. And the big country that didn't was the United States. Mm-hmm. So we can still ship our stuff and dump our stuff in other countries, whether you know under the label of, yeah, it's part of mixed recycling. But it's been shipped someplace. And what is really happening to all of it? And it's still legal for us to do it because we never signed the agreement saying that we wouldn't do it. So I think we've got some blue sky in our 
behaviors here in Mm -hmm. how we take care of our own mess of our own plastics and trying to use less plastic is a way to get started right from the get-go. Hence, it's worth it to Mm -hmm. us trashy task force people to spend an evening drinking wine and rolling up some silverware and getting together, not the day after an event, because Gwen, if you've been in Rotary, you know that the day after an event, Rotarians are sitting on their couches eating ibuprofen uh, (laughs) because we can barely move. But right. Out of a plastic that, bottle, I might add. But, you know, probably. I can't do anything about that. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, it's it's worth it to us to start making the behavior changes to get a new normal. Somewhere between 1955 and today, it became normal to just take something, use it once and throw it away. But that is really not feasible. And even if we make a change away from plastic, to another single-use object, we still are creating a huge burden. Um, we need a new normal. So I, I, it's interesting. You, you always put in this little, these little words of single-use. Single-use plastic seems to be really the enemy that leads to microplastics and different things. It was interesting while you were talking. Um, I went back to the grocery store in my brain, and and I'm sure my listeners are going to know this. Let's just, you know, next time you're walking down the aisle and you go to where the tuna is sold. And I think tuna is a great example of what we're trying to do and what it, what environmentally and or good for the world. I think the whole tuna display is very fascinating because you have tunas that are humanely caught as opposed to farm fished. And we know that that type of thing, when you have those big nets of tunas, you get dolphins in there and all kinds of stuff. So you've had the tuna industry say, we don't want to kill dolphins, but consumers and people listening to my voice, how many times have you gone for the dolphin safe tuna, but instead of buying it in the steel can't, that can be recycled, no problem. And according to you, multiple times, right? Steel, aluminum, glass, these are things that can be used again and again and again. But instead, you buy that quick fixed package of tuna in one of those vacuum sealed packages with the, not only is it plastic, but I guess it's that awful plastic. Sachets. It's a sachet. So so if you're buying that dolphin safe tuna in a sachet, are you just basically, you know, putting a hole in your own foot? Are you just basically like, well, you've just kind of neutrally killed it. You may be eating something that, you know, may be dolphin safe, but you've actually put the world at risk. You've still put the dolphin at risk. I don't know. How do you compare two things that aren't good? The best thing you can do is go to the store manager and say, hey, this is what I want. I want to be able to get dolphin-friendly tuna in something that's less damaging to the environment. Because if we all let our stores know what we want, that consumer demand changes the way the buyer for the grocery store starts buying. 
they start asking yeah, if they're not their selling manufacturers. It, yeah, if they're not selling it, they're not going to buy it again and restock it. It is demand, customer demand as just one person. I don't know how much it's worth. But when a whole lot of people are saying, hey, this is important to me. I, I, this is what I want to buy. I want to be able to buy it this way in a sustainable way. When a lot of us are saying that consumer demand is what is making Coca-Cola look at its plastic. Because when you do a waste audit, what is the number one brand you see all over the world in river and ocean cleanups across the planet? It's Coca-Cola followed by Unilever. We know this from when people who do cleanups do audits of the brands and types and sizes of things that they find. So that kind of data, put in the back of your mind, Rotarians, when you're doing a cleanup, you may want to tap, tap into some of the data collection systems that are out there to help us get a grip and understand our problem. But anyway, Consumer demand is important when you're getting that flat screen at Costco saying, is there any way that I can get a flat screen that doesn't have quite so much packaging? Letting people know that that's what we want is a great way to start making change because that influences um, that influences in a way that's different from the way regulation influences. And that is something we can start right now. We don't have to be mean activists and yell and scream. We can just say ourselves to things. Yeah. (laughs) This is what I'm looking for. (laughs) Well, and, and I'll pick on, I'll pick on Costco a little bit, but I have a little, you said there's a little blue sky. Uh, When you do go to Costco, things are usually in these huge plastic clamshells. There's tons of them there. And if you look up, This is the blue sky for you guys listening to me. Things to do with Costco containers. You will find that they make great little greenhouses. You will find that the ones that that hold oranges and stuff are absolutely fantastic to reuse to put your Christmas or holiday ornaments in. They pack beautifully. So it's, you know, it's like then you're getting into the reuse part. But what the. What the trashy task force is asking us to do is change a behavior. Yeah. How easy, how easy is that? We're talking North America here. We we have a whole bunch of Rotarians that are barely willing to have women in their groups. And now, now you want us the diversity, equity, and inclusion is we I have to include, I have to include my whole behavior being different. Well. You, you sure can if you want to. And I have a couple bits of advice on how to do it with a lot less pain. Okay. Okay. Number one, start with the easiest thing. And the easiest thing might be as simple as asking everybody to bring their own bottle, asking everybody to bring their own beer mug. Um, that way you don't have to do any dishes. And if you do a branded one and you make it part of your identity, there are groups all over this country now that always bring their own bottle. That's part of their identity. That's part of their camaraderie. This is a simple little thing that we do and we no longer have to buy paper cups or uh, red solo cups. Everybody brings their own. It's part of who we are. It's part of what we do. And when we do this in a fundraiser in front of the rest of the community, we're not giving a lecture. 
We right. are just showing how to do it differently. And, you know, there's a, a book out there called um, Fostering Sustainable Behavior. And, and the surprising thing is that if you educate people and you give them information, it will not change their behavior at all. Um, what changes their behavior is when everybody else is doing it a new way. When everybody is signing up for the pledge to reduce the amount of water that they use. When their bill includes information on how their electrical usage stacks up to the other people's usage in their building. These are the things that foster change. So when Rotary build by people who are influential in tons of groups and professional organizations in their work, when they are showing a new way to do something and Rotary clubs all over are doing this and we're gently saying, here's another way to get things done. Um, it wasn't that hard. We had two extra parties and we bought a big cooler. Um, then everybody can see that and we can model it. We can do it in a spotlight. It's great to make these changes in our own homes and our businesses. But when we use Rotary, the spotlight that we sometimes have in our communities, we can push that needle a little bit faster by showing people, okay, what can you do? And it's exciting. It's fun. And you know what? That is how Rotary stays relevant. That's how we attract new people to our clubs is we tackle problems that are hard and important and relevant and meaningful. And we do it as a group and we connect and we form friendships while doing things that need to be done. It's part of the magic of Rotary. And I'm thinking leading this switch that has to happen from disposables to reusables, Rotary can play a role in that. We are probably in a better position than anyone in civil society to show how to get it done. Well, amen, sister. Um, I, I will have to say, so you're, you're asking us to change. You're asking us, I have to say, do you think, and this kind of ties back to when we started, that even when it comes to us Rotarians and we're talking about the, the, the areas of focus, I got a lot of Rotarians planting trees. I got a lot of Rotarians gardening. But whose idea was it to take on trash? And we, you know what I mean? Because it's like, it's like when we talk about the environment, it's very huggy touchy. It's very hug a tree, plant a tree. Let's get out there. We've got our our wonderful president who's learning about butterfly gardens. And I am not dissing a decent butterfly garden. So you can just send me all your hate mail. That was just sarcasm, everybody. <laughs> Whose idea was it to go, okay, all that's well and good, but did anybody ever think about what they've been putting in their garbage can and have it be one of our areas of focus? Like who, who thought of that? Gwen, like, it's just like polio. Before we had polio, everybody was spending all their money getting cots and iron lungs and equipment for clinics. And then some idiot says, what if we do vaccinations and quit polio in the first place? Well, gotcha. Rotary has done a lot of cleanups and we're going to be cleaning up forever if we don't get back to the source and create a vaccination against plastic waste and pollution. And 
we haven't really talked about the toxic problems of plastic much. No. But when you start getting I into figured this hour that, has been depressing enough as it is. So. I know. <laughs> but you know what? It is hard to make the changes. And when you know what the price is for future generations, it becomes worthwhile to start making some of those changes. Ignoring it or not talking about it is not going to make it go away. What's going to make it go away is competent people, problem solving. Uh, we can't just wait for some of the fancy new technologies to scale up and be, be workable. We know mm -hmm. in plastic we can't depend on recycling. At best, it could maybe be 20%. But we can make some changes that affect how we dispose of plastic, how we use it. We can, um, we can help create a vaccine against plastic. I love that. Creating a vaccine against plastic. Why not? Maybe Octo if October 24th is World Polio Day, maybe we'll start it as October 25th is World uh, Plastic Vaccination Day. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I love it. I love that. <laughs> so... I want, I know you're, I know I've kept you a while and I thank you so much for Lori, for, for giving us all this information as depressing as it may seem. And I have a feeling that's why a lot of people don't spend time on trash. Maybe that's the whole thing is like a tree is so pretty and it's lovely and it brings shade. And, and what you're talking about is smelly and sticky and nasty and and you know we want to be detached from such things but let's just say somebody is not totally just depressed after this last hour and wants to start a trashy task force in their club what can they do to make that happen i think you got to find your people okay. a lot of people are just sick and tired of the plastic mess and we're doubling our plastic every 11 years. And we make <gasps> wow. so much now that when it doubles again, what are we saddling our next generation with? So you start, I think, with something easy like making sure that you recycle right where you can, understand how your community works, and then start problem solving and start with the easy things. We don't have to get rid of every darn piece of plastic all at once. We can't. But right. we can pick the easy things. We could have everybody bring their own bottle to stuff. We could start having educated high school interactors, helping people recycle compost and put stuff in trash correctly. Um, the one bit of advice that I have is if, if you are a Rotary president, you think, oh, this is a great idea. I'm going to saddle my overworked fundraising committee <laughs> with yet one more thing. Don't, don't do that. Find the trashy people. Find find the people who care about this, who like to have fun and camaraderie and tell bad jokes and drink that red wine and take care of that trash. Educate mm -hmm. those kids. Make it fun. Make right. it fun. Make it part of building your membership and building the social glue between your members. Find those people who are ex excited about it and let them take that job on. Because I will do things that no hardworking fundraising chair can do. Mm -hmm. Because my entire focus is just on this one little piece of the fundraiser, this one little piece of the club meetings. And by doing that, it doesn't become an imposition on people who are maybe working. Doing the gala. 
already. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, and, and I challenge my listeners to like rethink their daily life. So make a conscious decision, listeners. Uh, today, today, look around and see how much plastic is in your life. I mean, I wonder if everybody took a, you know, those little sticky red dots. And I and I think it would be fascinating as an experiment that if you walked around your house, everybody, and you put a red dot on everything in your house that's made of plastic. And then sat back and looked at your home. How many of those red dots would you have? And wow. I and I think I think that I think the truth of the matter is you'd be running out of red dots long before things made out of plastic were used up. And I'm strongly gonna gonna also say reuse. I'm a huge reuser. And you know what? I have to say that I I joke my mother is no longer with me, but I joke every single time I have a very good Ziploc bag that I'm like, this just had such and such in it. I can use this for you know taking a Ziploc bag to put all these scarves in so they can, you know, for the winter. I'm such a reuser that way. And I used to just so complain to my mother, mom, you're embarrassing me. Don't reuse that, <laughs> throw it away. I'm one of those people now. But I think that's a good thing. Is that right? I think it's a fantastic thing. And I think we need to look to our senior members of Rotary back to an age before plastic. How do we do things? Right. You know what? I just bought some milk in a glass container. I there left a hefty deposit behind mm-hmm. and I bring that milk thing back to my grocery store. So if you don't have that option, ask your grocer, ask your yeah. grocer. Why not? Yeah. Lord, joining me. It wasn't, it was fun. It was slightly depressing, but you know, any of these podcasts where we're telling people to have a little personal responsibility in their lives, it's always uh good for a smile and hopefully it's good for a lesson learned. Um, I have tell everybody to go look up the trashy uh, talk, trash talk task force. Wow. You got to love that one with the articulation. Uh, Also uh, there's also a plastic solutions task force and that's also a action group. Is that correct? Yes, it is part of the environmental sustainability rotary action group. Um, you can take a look at some of our stuff looking at sragplastics.org and check out our blogs. We have a blog that goes out twice a week. It's cutting edge news, uh, tips and tricks for helping your club do reusables rather than recyclables. Um, we are seeking desperately any club that is doing a, a project other than cleanups is doing a project to reduce plastic pollution. We're trying, we're very interested in setting up global grants and helping put clubs together so that in countries that don't have any recycling at all, maybe we can work together to make sure that we get some. Uh, Yeah, please come and look us up. Look up srag.org also for the entire world from pollinators to plastic. Uh, they have interesting information and project ideas for clubs. Awesome. Lori, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. This was fun. It wasn't totally depressing. 
Okay, I mean, good. but I have to say, I have to say it is up to us. I, I guess it's easy to say we made all this plastic. Maybe it's up to us to do something about it. Does that sound about right? Oh, no one else is going to do it. No one else. Thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Gwen. <laughs> and she's right. No one else is going to do anything about it, you guys. This is up to us. We have one big blue marble, and we're kind of being trashy with it. I mean, seriously. Now, maybe today, when you throw something away, maybe you'll think twice. Maybe when you toss something in that trash can, you think, hmm, can it be recycled? (gasps) Can it be reused? I mean, somewhere else? Come on. We're in this together, you guys. We can, every day, make a difference. And, by the way, it is one of our areas of focus, so what the heck? Start focusing on it. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. If you like the podcast, tell a friend. And if you have a Rotarian that I should know about, hey, RotarianPod at gmail.com. All right, then, until next week, think about your trash. Take care of yourself and the world around you, and we'll hear you next time on the I'm a Rotarian podcast. Have a wonderful week, everybody. Bye-bye.